For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to the Dirt Show. Another day, another indictment against Donald Trump. This time it's a RICO indictment. I will give you a law school seminar on RICO. I am a great expert on that issue. I litigated many RICO cases. I taught it for many years. I know the guy who wrote the RICO statute. We've uh, conferred together on issues of, of this kind. So I will tell you uh, what RICO is all about and why it is utterly, totally, completely inapplicable to this case. But before we start, this is a case essentially about lying. The allegation is that Donald Trump lied. He knew the election was fair, but he lied about it. It's a case about lying. So why does it begin with the prosecutor lying, deliberately lying? She knows she cannot try this case within six months. No case in the history of RICO involving 19 defendants, a 95-page indictment, thousands of pages of documentation and discovery, all kinds of motions. There is no way this case can be tried within six months. Yet she looked the American public in the eye and she said, I want to try this case, all 19 defendants together. Together, I don't want to separate them out. I want to try them together within 19 months. Liar, liar, your law book's on fire. This can't happen. And you know it. You know it. I don't know whether or not the government can prove that any of these people who were indicted knew that the election was not, was not uh, stolen. I don't know that. But I can tell you one thing, prosecutor. You knew when you looked your camera in the eye you knew you were lying when you said, I'm going to try to bring this case within six months. Uh, you can, if the case is tried within six months, please put this clip on television, embarrass me, and I will admit that I made a terrible mistake. It's not going to happen. This case is not going to be tried in six months or eight months or 10 months or 12 months. It's going to take much more time. I've done many, many RICO cases. I've done the appeals on RICO cases. I've had to read thousands of pages of transcript. You know how long this trial itself is going to take? It's going to take months. It's like herding cats when you bring 40 lawyers and there'll be 40 lawyers. Each of the defendants will have at least two. Some will have three. Some will have four. You're going to bring 40 or 50 lawyers into a courtroom and say, all right, now, any of you have any motions? Yes, I have motion. I have motion. I have a motion. No, his motion is wrong. My motion is right. No, it, it, it's going to be impossible to conduct this trial, the first motion that's going to be made before we even get to Rico is Donald Trump will say, I was a federal official at the time of these alleged crimes. My office, president of the United States, POTUS. Under the law, I can move this case from the state court in Georgia to a federal court. Rudy Giuliani will get up and say, but I can't, Your Honor. I wasn't a federal official. I was a private citizen, so I can't move this case. So the court's going to have to decide, are you going to move the case for some of the defendants, but not for others of the defendants? 
if it's turned down, if Trump's motion to move the case is turned down, does he have a right to appeal it? If so, does he have a right to appeal it to the state court, to the federal court, to both? Will it come to the Supreme Court? This case is a seminar on criminal law. If I was still teaching, I could teach an entire course just on this case. I wouldn't even have to use the other three cases. As you know, in in my book, Get Trump, I predicted all four of these cases. Uh, I was complimented the other day by by Mark Levin, who called me the, the Nostradamus of law, because I've made correct predictions about all these cases. I also predicted, of course, that the Hunter Biden plea bargain would be would be thrown out. Uh, but I predicted this indictment. I did not predict that it would be a RICO indictment because that is such a stretch that even the most imaginative lawyer would never dream they would bring a RICO prosecution. Let me tell you what RICO is. RICO is a statute uh, written by a colleague and an associate of mine, a great, great professor at uh, Notre Dame uh, a Law School. And he came up with an idea of how to get organized crime um, because in organized crime, you have, just remember The Godfather, the great movie, The Godfather. Um, by the way, if you ever want to see a series on television, The Offer, it's about the making of The Godfather. I recommend it strongly. Anyway, so The Godfather, he's the quiet guy. Make an offer he can't refuse. You can't get to The Godfather. He doesn't expose himself. So there's a hierarchy. And so they devise the technique for being able to get everybody in the hierarchy a technique that wasn't covered by the traditional conspiracy laws. And so they created this, this, this monster called, called Rico designed to get the mob. How do I know it was designed to get the mob? I had a wonderful call from one of my clients, an Italian-American guy who was uh, indicted under Rico. And he said, hey, this is an unfair statute. It was designed to get, you know, mafia guys, Italian-American guys, like me. I said, no, how do you know that? He said, well, they call it Rico. They don't call it Morris or James. They call it Rico. Rico. That's my name. That's my cousin's name. Rico. It's an Italian name. Well, whether it was designed to get Italian Americans or not, it was certainly designed to get the mob. And then it was extended to go beyond the mob to other mobs. For example, in Georgia, they went after some cocaine dealer uh, mobs. Uh, yeah, that, that that seems appropriate. But to use RICO to go after a political campaign to try to change the results of an election, which people believed was not a fair election. My God, they could have done a RICO prosecution of me and all of my colleagues who were trying to undo the Florida election in 2000. 2000. Remember that election? This was... 17,000 votes in Florida was, was it 567 or 570? 570 votes determined who the president of the United States will be. And I'm telling you right now, I honestly believe that election legitimately went to Al Gore. He should have been the president of the United States. I believed it then. I believe it now. And I acted on that belief. I went to court. We challenged the butterfly ballot. You remember the hanging chads? the recount. And then the Supreme Court butts in, in a five to four decision, which Justice Scalia, after it was over, wrote me a letter about basically apologizing, basically saying, hey, give me some slack. It was an emergency. We had to do something. Maybe I was wrong. You know, But it was a five to four decision. Four justices thought we were right. Five justices thought we were wrong. Majority wins. And so the case, the count was stopped. 
and the election was handed by the Supreme Court to President Bush. I wrote a book about it called Supreme Injustice. I railed against the Supreme Court. I accused my friend Nino Scalia of applying a double standard. He was mad at me, but we became good friends again afterward. But uh, we, he, this was a very contentious election. I still think it was wrongly, wrongly decided. What if Al Gore hadn't said, look, all right, I lost five to four. Al Gore believed he won. What if he had refused to concede? Well, he was a mensch. He conceded. That was a good thing. That's why I tend to vote for people like Al Gore. I don't think it was right for Donald Trump to refuse to concede the election. I don't agree with his speech of January 6th, but they weren't crimes. There's a big difference between political sins and federal and state crimes. For something to be a crime, you have to intend, corruptly intend. And they're going to have to prove that each of the defendants corruptly intended to violate the law and corruptly believed against their own statements, corruptly believed that the election was fair and the election was decided rightfully in favor of, uh, of Joe Biden, but they lied to themselves and they lied to everybody else. What happens if, as is probably the case, I don't know all the defendants, I know some of them, obviously, I know Rudy Giuliani, and I had uh, dealings with uh, with uh, the, the um, chief of staff um, and some of the other people in the in the Trump uh, White House. What if some of them, like Trump, actually believed and still believes that the election was stolen? And I, by the way, I'm convinced that he believes that. Uh, I don't think he's. I haven't seen any evidence that shows that he has ever deviated from that stated belief. But what if there are some others who may have told somebody, maybe one of their lawyers, now lawyer's client privilege seems to be out the window when it comes to this. What if one of them said to his lawyer, you know, I, I think the election was fair, um, but, you know, I was a lawyer and they, they told me it wasn't fair. So I went along with them and I, I made the argument. Uh, you know, lawyers don't have to believe their clients. Do I believe that O.J. Simpson was guilty or not guilty? I'm not going to tell you, but it doesn't matter whether I believe he was guilty or not guilty. My job was to defend him. Uh, do I believe that Leona Helmsley was the queen of mean, as people said, or the nicest woman in New York? Those are my beliefs. I don't have to act on my beliefs. Do I believe in what the communists said was true when I defended the right of communists to speak, or what the Nazis said when they marched through Skokie, Illinois, a place where Holocaust survivors live? Do I agree? Of course not. They were thugs. They were horrible. If they had been hit by a bus and killed, I wouldn't have shed a tear. But the First Amendment was being violated, so I shed a tear about the First Amendment. And the same thing is true here. Lawyers don't have to believe their clients. But what if they come up with some testimony that Defendant X, maybe not a lawyer, said to his girlfriend or to uh, his mother, uh, to another friend, oh, you know, I really think the election was fair, but I really want Trump to be president because he's going to give me a good appointment. So I'm going to pretend that I believe that the election was not fair. Uh, and I'll say that, but I believe it was fair. You know, that person might be able to be convicted, but how does the judge instruct the jury on that? Each individual has to be judged on their individual state of mind and their individual intent. We do not have guilt by association in the United States of America. And although the Supreme Court sometimes 
soft on some of these intent issues when it comes to guilt by association. They're, they're pretty darn strong. And if this case gets to the Supreme Court and there isn't a record of an instruction to the jury that they have to find each individual had a specific corrupt intent to violate the law, namely that he knew the election was fair but said it wasn't, there's going to be a problem. There's going to be a problem on appeal. So what is RICO? RICO requires that there be an enterprise called the mafia or called the drug cartel, that there be an enterprise, and that each individual defendant has to have committed several designated crimes. That's not enough, but he has to have committed them through the enterprise, using the enterprise as a way of committing those crimes. And the Supreme Court and the Courts of Appeals have reversed many RICO convictions because the government just used the word racketeering and the jury convicted, but they didn't dot their I's and cross their T's and they didn't persuade uh, the jury based on admissible evidence that the crimes, the designated crimes were committed through the enterprise. That's what RICO is about. RICO was never ever intended to apply to uh, elections. Uh, remember, so many elections in American history have been contested. Uh, you also saw Hamilton, so you remember the 1800 election, one of the most contested elections in history. The framers of the Constitution screwed up. They made a mistake. Um, and in Article 2, they basically said that you vote, you cast electoral votes for a president and a vice president. And of course, at the time, there were no parties. Uh, parties began toward the end of the Washington administration. And so when Burr runs for vice president with Thomas Jefferson against Adams, Burr and Jefferson get the same number of votes. They overwhelmingly defeat Adams. He had passed the Alien and Sedition Act. He was un unpopular. Uh, but, but Jefferson and Burr were tied. But Jefferson was running for president. Burr was running for vice president, but Burr, a man of no character, and the man obviously responsible for killing one of the greatest American statesmen in history, Alexander Hamilton Burr, said, hey, hey, Jefferson, too bad. You know, I got the same number of votes as you did. I'm going to run. I'm going to be the president. Um, the electors couldn't decide. So it was thrown into uh, the House of Representatives, and it lasted for, for many weeks. And um, ultimately, of all people, Alexander Hamilton who was a Federalist, that is, he hated uh, Jefferson. Jefferson was his arch enemy. In fact, Jefferson was the one whose guy revealed the affair that Hamilton had with Mrs. Reynolds, uh, which caused really the end of Hamilton's political career and ultimately led to his duel, because who do you think represented uh, Mrs. Uh, the, the woman uh, in her divorce, ultimately? Aaron Burr. I mean, it sounds like it's made up, but it's true. Uh, James Monroe was involved. Aaron Burr was involved. Jefferson was involved. Any of that, Hamilton was a man of great character. And he could determine who the next president was going to be as between Burr and Jefferson. And um, he thought that Jefferson, um, although he disagreed with everything Jefferson stood for, he thought he was a man of character and principles. So he got the Federalists to cast their votes for Jefferson. Jefferson Wins the election, Burr complained. Not only that, went down south, started his own army, was indicted for treason, tried before Chief Justice John Marshall. The jury re refused to return a verdict of either guilty or not guilty. They returned a verdict of not proven. 
which uh, put an end to Burr's career. But there was that election. Then there's Tilden Hayes, 18, what, 76? I may have my dates wrong by two years. Um, deeply contested election. Ultimately was corruptly won by Hayes um, uh, as a result of a deal being made to end Reconstruction, essentially, and, 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 and hurt uh, formerly enslaved uh, people. Terrible, terrible election. 2000, uh, the 19, I'm sorry, 1960 election, the first election I voted in, Hawaii was deeply contested. And, you know, a court had the case and the court said the way to contest an election is to come up with an alternate slate of electors and submit it to, that's what they did, pursuant to the law. And then we get, of course, to uh, Bush versus Gore, where all of the same activities were, were conducted by the same people, by the way, Lawrence Tribe and, and others um, uh, who, who, who did much of the same things that they now think Trump should be accused for, utter, utter hypocrisy. Well, they say there are differences. Of course, there are differences. There are never complete similarities between elections, but the similarities um, outweigh, outweigh the differences. And so we saw that in, in 2000. Then we saw it in, in 2016 when uh, Trump beats Hillary Clinton, loses the popular vote, beats her in a close election. My former student, Jamie Raskin, who was one of the people who headed the impeachment of Trump that I defended him on, Jamie Raskin gets up in front of the House and the Senate and, and, and asks for them to hold the process and do some of the same things that the Trump people asked them to do. But, you know, people criticized uh, Jamie Raskin, but nobody thought to indict him or uh, indicate he was corrupt. Did Jamie Raskin honestly believe that Hillary Clinton won the election? No, I don't think so. He's a smart guy, I know. I gave him a very good grade. He was a very smart guy. I actually helped defend his father uh, 20 years earlier, 30 years earlier, uh, uh, under the Espionage Act, the same act that Jamie Raskin now wants to expand to cover uh, Donald Trump. Uh, so much hypocrisy here. So many interesting memories and, 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 and past uh, situations that are so parallel. But um, we've had all these contested elections. This is the first time anybody has ever tried to use a RICO prosecution to go after a campaign, a political campaign. Look, I don't like what Donald Trump did. I don't like the way he behaved. I believe that what Al Gore did was so much more patriotic. Even what Richard Nixon did, that was an extraordinarily close election in 1960. It could easily have gone the other way. And there were... There were claims that uh, the Kennedy father, Patrick Kennedy, had fixed the election, paid people off, um, Illinois, uh, you know, all of that. He owned a very, very large um, um, a business in Chicago. Uh, was it a purely, completely clean election? We don't know, but Richard Nixon conceded. Al Gore conceded. Uh, Donald Trump did not concede. Uh, Stacey Abrams, uh, who, who is in Georgia, she contested. Uh, the election, although she eventually conceded as well. It is not a crime not to concede an election. It may be a sin, a political sin, but it's not a crime. And so my analysis of this RICO case is that it will probably result in a conviction, particularly if it stays in the state courts, and uh, particularly if it's in the same county, Fulton County, which is overwhelmingly Democrat, it will probably result in a conviction that will probably occur 
just before the election. It certainly won't occur within six months, but maybe within a year, year and a quarter. It could happen. And then it will be reversed on appeal when it gets to the United States Supreme Court. That's my uh, prediction. Uh, my predictions have generally proved to be fairly accurate, but I'm going to make no prediction about whether or not the case will be removed for Donald Trump from the state court to the federal court. If I had to make a prediction, I would say probably not, although maybe it should, but the law is pretty murky uh, on that. And so um, my inclination would be to say it's not going to happen, but there's going to be a very strong motion filed to do it. And that motion will probably be appealed before the trial. Uh, it's called an interlocutory appeal or a mandamus or something of that kind. There's a procedure for doing it. Generally, it's denied, but uh, sometimes it's, it's granted. Again, I could teach a whole law school seminar just on this indictment, just on this case. My former student uh, wrote an article, another former student, wrote an article um, in the New York Times today in which he praised this indictment for being so creative and, 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 and being so interesting. Well, he wasn't in class that day when I taught him that indictments are not supposed to be creative. They're supposed to be boringly precedential. They're supposed to be based on existing law. I've told you before the Thomas Jefferson statement that for a law to be criminal law to be constitutional, it has to pass the following test. A reasonable person reading it while running, reading it while running, has to be able to understand it. Well, I read this indictment while sitting and I didn't understand um, elements uh, of it. And so I could teach a whole course uh, on it, but it shouldn't be creative. When you're going after the man running for president against the incumbent president, it should be the most conventional, boring, predictable, precedential criminal case ever, the way Richard Nixon's was. There was nothing creative about the Richard Nixon uh, proposed impeachment prepared in part by Hillary Clinton, who was then on, on, on the committee. Um, uh, it was a conventional indictment, cover-ups, destruction of tapes, uh, nothing original, nothing creative. You didn't stretch. There was no RICO charged. Uh, there was no, uh, you know, massive conspiracy charged. It was what President uh, Nixon was accused of doing, and Republicans and independents joined Democrats in saying, you know, he has to either resign or he'll be impeached and be prosecuted. And, you know, it took a courageous act by um, President Ford to, to pardon him. Uh, my son Elon and I had dinner with President Ford a couple of years after that happened, and he talked about that as being the most challenging and, and for him um, the thing he's most proud of. He brought the country together. He stopped it from, from dividing, and it wasn't even divided then the way it's divided today. There was a vast majority of people who supported uh, Nixon's prosecution, Nixon's impeachment, not like today. And I think it would take an act of great statesmanship for the president of the United States to say, look, enough's enough. Let's 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 have a disarmament here. Um, stop prosecuting. Stop trying to get Trump. You know, this the title of this book was very prescient. Get Trump. That's what they're doing. Get Trump. And I don't think they should be trying to get Hunter Biden either. Um, those cases are a little bit more conventional. Failure to pay taxes. Failure to to acknowledge that you had a drug problem when you went and got a gun, pretty conventional and a pretty small uh, punishment uh, for those crimes, deservedly small. If those are the only crimes, there should be a small uh, punishment, no jail time. But uh, 
if there was no investigation looking into other crimes, then we really have a problem. Okay, so lots and lots of letters, as you might expect. Everybody has an opinion on these issues, and they should. It affects uh, all Americans when we see abuses in the rule of law. Okay. Been watching the Dirt Show for a few months now, and just want to say you have the rare ability to explain events to ordinary citizens so that they can make sense of the current state of government. You remind me of the late Charles Krautheimer, a very wise man. I, I agree he was a wise man. Of course I have the ability to explain things. I grew up in Brooklyn. Uh, on the streets of Brooklyn, you had to be understood. You had to talk simple. Uh, no fancy language. No $10 words. You know, you just talk. And we used to say in Yiddish, it's tachlis. Just, you know, what is it? It's basic. Understand it. If you don't understand it, then it's probably too complicated to be in the law. So thank you for that. Show me the man and I'll show you the crime. Lavrenti Berry, the most ruthless and the longest serving secret police chief in Joseph Stalin's reign of terror in Russia and Eastern Europe. Merrick Garland learned well. I, I, I wouldn't make that analogy at all. I think Merrick Garland is a decent guy. I think he's tried his best. I think he's in an impossible position. He's been given the hardest and most complex and most difficult to fulfill job in Washington. He's been told you're attorney general. That means you have two jobs and they're inconsistent. You have to be the advisor to the president politically about legal matters. You have to help him get reelected. That's one of your jobs. The other job is to be completely neutral and apolitical and prosecute only those people who would be prosecuted if they were on the other party or if the shoe were on the other foot. You can't do both of those jobs. The British understood that. Um, They have two special people. One is the Minister of Justice, cabinet member, advises the president. The other is called the Director of Public Prosecution, totally independent, not part of the government, only decides whether to prosecute people. Israel, too, has the same same division. Many other countries do, but not the not the United States. Um, Mr. Dershowitz, knowing who Merrick Garland was, has turned, knowing who Merrick Garland has turned out to be, aren't you glad he was not named a justice of the Supreme Court? No, I think he would have been a very good justice. I think it's the job that created the problem. Being a justice, frankly, is a very easy job. No hard lifting. You have to make important decisions. You have five clerks Um, You don't have to do very much work. Some of the justices do, some don't. Um, um, I think he would have been a very good justice. He's an honorable, decent guy. But being put without political experience in a schizophrenic job that requires you to be both a political consultant and advisor to the president and a neutral, objective person who shouldn't be helping the president, I don't think very many people could survive in that job. There are a few who have. Edward Levy, who was appointed by, again, by, by um, the uh, president uh, uh, who, who succeeded uh, the Watergate scandal, and, and, and he was there to clean up Washington, and uh, he was there to make sure that the Justice Department was restored to morality. Uh, he did, he did a, a great job, but many other attorneys general, starting from Robert Kennedy, who I liked, I worked for him. But, you know, was he objective and neutral? Of course not. He was the brother of the president of the United States. He wanted to get Roy Cohn, and he, he got he got Roy, Roy Cohn. And, uh, you know, he used the office uh, quite politically. And I think um, uh, Obama's attorney general 
similarly in many other attorney generals as well. And uh, I think Edward Levy is probably the only one who managed uh, to, to do that. And, um, and uh, you know, President Ford was smart to appoint him. He was the president of the University of Chicago. Nobody knew whether he was a Democrat or Republican. His job was to restore the dignity of the Justice Department. And he did it. And he did it very, very well. I think this is intended as a compliment. Dershowitz is the Jeremiah of American jurisprudence. You know, the word uh, Jeremiah, which is somebody who angrily yells and screams about how the world is ending and collapsing. So I, I don't believe that. Uh, we're still only three or four bananas on the scale of 10. So I, I reject the notion of being Jeremiah, though I approve of the intention behind it. He was a, a great prophet. Um, in 50 years, I've been paying attention to you. I've never seen you waver from the accuracy of facts and law. Thank you. I contribute to the definition of is and the turning point for the legal profession. I, I hope you're right. Um, uh, we're entitled to the ought as well, but we have to be clear when we're ising or when we're oughting, and we can't ever confuse that. I was at a local friend of the library meeting recently, and they were audibly aghast, including the library director, because the taxpayer complained about LGBT material in the children's section. Uh, because, of course, banning books is bad, I just checked. Not one copy of Get Trump at the library, even though Get Trump is a higher profile release than nearly every LGBT book aimed at kids, if not, if not everyone else. Libraries have banned my book. Book fairs have banned my book. Local bookstairs have banned my book. If you want to protest this book banning, the best thing is... You know, for a couple of bucks, go online uh, on Amazon and buy the book there. Amazon is number one today. The book is the number one bestseller in, I don't know, political discourse or something like that, conservative versus liberalism. But the only place you can get it is online. Can't get it in bookstores. They've been canceled and banned. Okay. I agree with your assessment of grand juries. I was compelled to serve as a member 25 years ago in Trenton, New Jersey. We were compelled to serve every Friday. The jury group basically rubber stamped any of the cases that the attorney general decided to prosecute. There was never any discussion, cases between votes on the jury. Out of more than 30 cases presented to that jury, only in one time did a defendant present an argument to the jury. There was only one time a vote not to change, not to charge the defendant occurred, and that was at the urging of the city attorney, of the prosecutor. So, of course, of course, you're right and I'm right. Uh, the grand jury is 23 chairs moved around by the prosecutor to achieve an imprimatur on what the prosecutor himself or herself wanted. See you tomorrow. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. Ch -ch 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 
That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.